Amen. It's good. It's good. It's a good start to a sermon on peace. Um, I'm gonna wait and make sure that we. For those who are streaming, we've got our fire alarm going off. It's probably just the system getting tripped. I'm gonna wait and make sure I don't get a someone running in the room going get everybody out of here. Let me see. Uh, the church did not burn down. Uh, we just got a sermon that's going to be about half as long now, so hallelujah, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, peace. <laughs> I, I don't know what it says about me and Reagan that when that happened, literally, y'all didn't move. I think most of y'all probably thought, this is a weird sermon illustration, like, like we would play around with the fire system, because uh, that's just, you know, our facilities manager would be down for that for sure. Um, so before we, before we had this wonderful experience, uh, we, we sang a song, uh, Silent Night, right? We, we sing this song every Christmas season. A lot of Christmas Eve services will close with that song. We'll probably sing that song to close our candlelight services here next Sunday. When I hear that song, though, I, I have a special memory. And when I think about peace, I think about the same memory and, and sort of the lack thereof. So I've received clearance from my younger brother, Jake, uh, who runs our slides and our lighting in the back booth, so be sure you give Jake a hug and a high five later. I've received clearance from him to tell this story. When he was a younger lad, um, it became a running joke in our family that the children's pageant would be a must-see event because Jake would always be up to something. Um, and uh, one year he was a donkey, and he sat in the clouds of heaven and just picked away at them while the donkeys were in the shepherd's pen or whatever. He was just sitting in heaven just playing with the clouds the entire time picking his nose and eating it. That was cool. Um, but then one year, he was in the angel choir. You know, and the angel choir is like the cutest thing on the planet, right? These little kids, and, you know, he's probably like five or six or so, and, and he's got his little angel wings on, his little angel halo, and they're supposed to sing Silent Night, this beautiful, touching moment when Jesus is with us. And he's standing there in his, in his angel costume, and he's standing next to another kid his same age, and at some point, they're singing about peace on earth, and um, one of them, I can't remember which one, I guess somehow nudges the other one to scoot over or something, and well, well Jake didn't like that too much, so he kind of nudged him back, and the kid didn't like that too much, so he kind of really gave Jake an arm, and at this point, now, my brother was a big kid for his age. He looks, also, I see his head snap over, and I'm thinking to myself, oh! Here it goes, and just a Mike Tyson right hook, just boom, and they go tumbling off the rafters into this wrestling angel, you know, peace, da, 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 you know, and they're just wrestling, and all of a sudden, you, see, you know, sleep in heavenly peace, he's like, go to sleep, go to sleep, you know, and um, that's what I think of when I think of Silent Night. <laughs> now, I'm willing to bet, you may not have a story just like that, but I'm willing to bet when you hear a sing about peace and about silence and stillness, you're probably thinking, now, where do I get me some of that? Because I don't feel that a lot in my own life. Amen? So this week, uh, we turn back to Scripture, and, you know, the first Sunday we, during Advent, I preached on a, a Scripture of Mary in the first chapter of Luke, and, uh, and that was fun because I hadn't actually preached about Mary in, in a while, and so it was really fun to do that, and I thought, okay, well, that's fun. Then this week, it was another Scripture of Mary, and I thought, oh, wow, okay, what is God trying to teach me about Mary? And this week our scripture is actually found in Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. And this is Mary's song of praise. So this is after she's visited with um, her cousin uh, Elizabeth, and when uh, her inside of her womb, their children sort of leap for joy, and we see John and Jesus already 
having this relationship, and then she sings this song of praise to God. Now, keep in mind, if you weren't here for week one, um, what I wanted to make really clear that week in our sermon was that, you know, Mary, we always remember her now as this, you know, perfectly peaceful, calm, restful spirit. But, I mean, the news she was being given by the angel uh, that she was going to carry a child that was not her fiancé's, um, and who was going to be the savior of the earth. That was scary, frightening kind of news, and she receives it with this rest and with this calm. And then we see that even more magnified, to borrow a turn of phrase from her, we see that even more magnified in this song of praise. Now, this is a young woman who ought to be terrified, scared out of her life. Her life is not peaceful right now, and yet she's able to say these words. So we see them on the screens, and you'll hear them now. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, their thoughts, in, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. So I hear those words from mercy, and what I hear is a woman who, in the midst of a chaotic life, a life fraught with chaos, fraught with danger, fraught with unknown, she has this peace. <laughs> She has this peace that we say today in the church, this peace that passes all understanding. There's something about her spirit that is able to sing this song of praise to a God who has just absolutely sent her life into chaos mode. And my question for me today is, and for us today is, how, how do I find that kind of peace? How do I find a peace that is lasting? Not a peace of when I sit down at the end of a long day and I can relax for an hour or two, but how do I walk through life with a spirit of peace? In the midst of chaos, in the midst of difficulty, in the, in the midst of unknown and uncertainty. Because I don't know if you're like me, but these days in my life, there's a lot of chaos and unknown and uncertainty. And there's a lot of times I don't feel at peace. And I want to be able to sing a song like Mary. So there's a couple things that jump out of her, her song to me this morning. That, that when, I, when I heard this and read this this week, I, I, I had to chew on and wrestle with it. And, and that's what I want to talk about briefly this morning as we approach our children singing at 1015. So y'all hold on to your seats, all right? Um, number one, I think that we find peace in God's work within us. I think that we find peace in God's work within us. When she says, my soul, that's like the most inner part of who you are. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I love that line. She says, for generations people will call me blessed. And yet we know that's not the name she's going to receive in the moment in, in her generation amongst everybody, right? This is a teen mom coming back to her town with a baby that's not her husband's. You think they're going to call her blessed? <laughs> or you think they're going to say something when she turns her back and walks away? 
So how does Mary carry this peace of knowing that God is doing something amazing in her? He's looked on this lowly servant. He's beginning to do a great work in her. And she's able to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. How can she say these things? How can she have this peace in the face of such outward criticism and critique and those, those staring eyes from across the town where they don't even look at you? They don't even want you to see what they're saying about you. I look at the character of Mary. I think it comes from this assuredness that she has that her life is not about what she's doing. Her life is about what God is doing within her. Now, she's got this very physical thing that God is at work with in her. But I look at all of us. I look at myself. I have to recognize that God is at work in my life. God is at work in my soul. God is at work in the depths of who I am and in my character. And that's going to change the way that I walk throughout my day. And that's going to change the way that I interact with people around me. That's going to change the way I hear things that people say about me. Because if I know that God is at work in my soul, if I know that God is at work in my life, then does it really matter what the buzz in town is about me? This idea of, of, of having a, a character, this, this thing that, that, is, that is beyond us, that is, that is beyond just our actions, but is deep within us. You know, Mary's got character in spades. She knows who she is. She knows what she's done. She knows what she hasn't done. And she knows what God is doing inside of her. And that allows her to walk into Nazareth with her head held high and not be concerned about what crazy Aunt Myrtle is saying to the other busybodies at the hair store, you know. She doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff because she knows exactly who she is. My question for us this morning is can we find a lasting peace in terms of who we are and what God is doing in our lives because of the, the way that God is refining our character? Now, this is something that we don't talk a lot about these days. In fact, I think in some ways we've got kind of a character problem in our culture these days. Did y'all know that cheating in high school and college has soared? That uh, a recent poll found that somewhere between 65 and 75 percent of students in high school and college admit that they've cheated in the last year on their schoolwork. I did. Did you? I did. Oh, I absolutely did. We got to confess these things. Like, we, we can't be like, oh, they did? Yes. In fact, I've had a bunch of you guys did too. Got a room full of people in law school. Nobody cheated. Come on now. <laughs> IRS reports that tax evasion has risen since the early 1990s and now costs the government over $300 billion a year. Tax evasion, $300 billion. Corporate scandals become commonplace in the 21st century. The opioid crisis is thought to be caused in part by overprescription of medications. I can go on and on. I don't have time because we've got to get to the cute kids. Chronic overbilling over in law firms, performance enhancing drugs in sports, and of course the spotlight in recent weeks on abusive men occupying the most powerful positions in business and politics. We have a character problem. And I don't think it's getting better. In some ways, I think it's getting worse. Because I think in some ways we care more about what kind of status we can get to or what so-and-so in whatever office thinks of us more than we think about what God thinks of us and what God is doing inside of the deepest parts of our souls. Can we say that our souls magnify the Lord? But let's not even look at it from a cultural, social perspective. Think personally. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody, a friend, coworker, mentor, somebody? And you thought that they were a person of good character and then they proved you to be entirely wrong about that? Did that hurt? 
Did that hurt to realize that what you thought was real was actually really hollow on the inside? That character you thought was at work in them was nowhere to be found? I have. I know what that feels like. And so I think that we need to take character very seriously. I think we ought to take it seriously in the season of Advent because this is a season when we ought to see loudly, boldly, clearly that God wants to do something good inside of us. Jesus comes from within Mary. The greatest good this world has to offer is going to come from within. It's not going to come from something outside. It's going to come from within. And so how do we walk through our lives at peace knowing that not that we're finished products. I'm not asking us for us to be perfect, right? There's no perfect people in this room today. I want you to turn to your neighbor on the left or the right, and I want you to say, I am an unfinished product. Streamers, I want you to turn to somebody you're sitting with or just say it to the mirror and say, I am an unfinished product. Turn to somebody else. I am an unfinished product. And that's okay. But what you're not allowed to be is an unfinished product who thinks you're a finished product. That's not okay. All of us are unfinished products, and that's okay. But we can't believe that we're finished. I don't care if you're seven years old or 70. We've got work to do. And that work begins on the inside. You can come into the greatest conflicts in your life, and if you have character, real character, God-born character, you will survive it. If you don't, it could destroy you. Character is critical. If you have it, any attack is conquerable, and if you don't, any attack could be catastrophic. Now, what I mean by that is not that if you're a good person, then everything good is always going to happen to you. No, 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 no. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Buckle up. What I do mean is that you, the spirit of you, the soul of you that magnifies the Lord will survive because your character cannot be touched by anybody else. The soul that God has put into your spirit and that God is breathing into your spirit and that God is continually refining in your spirit and in your soul, that part of you, that character, no one else can touch. No one else can damage. No one else can give more or less value to because God is the one that assigns that value. We've got to start with what's inside. Okay, we've got to keep going. The second thing, last thing that I see in the Mary story this morning, this one's a biggie. I see that we can find peace in God's work through us. It doesn't just stop with what's inside, but it, it continues and it becomes God's work through us. Now, this is where I want to address something that can be kind of a sticky wicket for some people. Let's go, turn back to our scripture for a second. At the end of our passage this morning, it said, He has helped his servant Israel. This is Mary speaking. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. She hearkens back to this generation-long promise that God has been slowly at work in, all the way back to Abraham. That is generations upon... If you want to know how long it is, you go back and read the first chapter of Matthew. It is the whole lineage. There are a lot of great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers in that list, right? This is a long generation after generation after generation-long promise, and she, she calls upon this to praise God for this work. But that makes me think about something. And it all has to do with how God honors our faithfulness. Because I think we can have a misunderstanding about how God honors our faithfulness, and it can lead us to feeling really not at peace, especially with God. It all has to do with this, this idea of karma, right? This is, now, karma is this sort of common, comes out of the Hindu faith, but we see it throughout all sorts of different faiths. This idea that what goes around comes around, or if you do good, you get good, and if you do bad, you get bad, Right? We all familiar with this idea? So, like I said, it's present in a lot of different faiths. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, 
Deuteronomy is all built on this theology of if you do good, you get good, and if you do bad, you get bad. How many of us can say that in your life you've seen that to be proven 100% true? There's no hands, streamers. There's no hands. Um, That's one reason why I love the book of Ecclesiastes, also in the Old Testament. The Bible actually can, at times, appear to disagree with itself. I would say it's having a conversation with itself. Ecclesiastes says in one line, I've seen slaves on horseback, and I've seen princes in chains. What's he mean by that? That's kind of a cryptic message. What he's saying is, I've seen some people who are the best people in the world, and they've gotten the worst this world has to throw at them. And I've seen some people who are the worst people in the world, and they get everything good. Now, have you seen that to be proven true? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We've got to be careful as Christians not to adopt this theology that says, if I do good, then I'm going to get good. And if I do bad, then I'm going to get bad. Because that's not really the way this world works. It's not really the way our faith works. Our own life experience has told us this much. So let's stop pretending we believe in this lie. That's not the way the world works. Here's how it does work. Because I believe 100% that God honors our faithfulness. But God, Scott, you just said that, that if I do good, I might not get good. No, you might not. But I believe that God honors our faithfulness in the way that God allows our faithfulness to take a foothold in the world around us. I don't believe that if you do good, you're going to get good. But if, I, I believe that if you do good, there's good in the world. I believe that if you do good, someone else might get good. And I believe that the Christian faith and the God of the Christian Bible is sold out to this idea of selflessness. And if we're going to remember selflessness, maybe Christmas is a time to remember it. I know we like to talk about this at Easter, but I think Christmas is a time we can talk about selflessness because I look at at God's own faithfulness in Mary. I mean, here's this God who has worked for generation after generation after generation to fulfill this promise. And he's trying to see people's faithfulness take hold, and he's just not seeing it. You know, Israel remembers and they forget. They remember and they forget. They do a little bit better and they do a little bit worse. And so God says, you know what, for a change, I'm going to be the faithful one. the ultimately faithful one. I'm going to place myself in this world. I'm going to place myself in this womb. I'm going to place myself as an infant to be cared for and to be nurtured by these people who just don't get it. God does good, but then what does God get in return for that? Jesus grows up and he ends up being cast out of his hometown. He ends up being thrown out of the synagogue and the temple. He ends up being crucified by the state and by his own religious brothers and sisters. Just because God does good doesn't mean that God gets good, but guess what? God does good, and God honors that faithfulness by allowing faithfulness to take foot, to have a foothold in this world, even if it's a little baby foot. But they're the cutest feet. This Christmas, I think we need to remember that when we do good, when we, when we do acts of selflessness, when we pour out love in this world, when we allow there to be a little bit more hope and a little bit more peace and a little bit more joy and a little bit more love, we don't do that for ourselves. We may never get something back for that. We have this mentality like, well, God owes me. Whatever. Whatever. You believe in a God who's going like, to let you live forever in heaven? Shut up. Like, re- I mean, really, God doesn't owe us anything. Now, I'm not trying to make light. You might have a very difficult life. There have been seasons in my life that I thought were too much to bear. I get that, but let's be real. There is, if you think you're going to come to the Christian faith because if you're good enough, then God's going to shower you with riches and glory here on earth, I don't mean to pop your balloon, but that's not going to happen. Here's what will happen. Maybe you allow a little bit of Christmas to come into your world. 
Maybe you allow your faithfulness to get a foothold because God's going to honor that faithfulness. Maybe the faithfulness that you express, maybe it never gets paid back for you. Maybe it impacts your children or your neighbors or your community or your state or, yeah, maybe even your world. Maybe your faithfulness impacts one life. Isn't that enough? Do you need to get something in return or is it enough for your faithfulness to just get a foothold in the world around you? I think about the privileged place that I am today, 2017 in Dallas, Texas, I think about the generations of people who had to walk in faith, who had to pour out faithfulness and never get anything in return just so I could be here. And then when I'm good, I want to get payback. Mary is singing about generations since Abraham who lived in exile, who lived under oppression, who had suffered defeat after defeat after defeat, and now she gets to birth the Savior of the world. This Christmas, I think, is a time for us to remember the core essential of Christianity is that selfless love that God gives us through Jesus Christ. And when God sends himself down in the form of this child, what he's saying is, I'm going to let faith get a foothold in this world once and forever. And so I hope you go out of these doors. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas with your family, with your friends, whomever you spend it with. I hope you guys eat good meals and you get to share great gifts and you get to have a wonderful time together. And I also hope that you let Christmas come alive. That we would trust that when we are faithful to God, through the image of Jesus Christ, that we can trust that when we're faithful to God, that faith is given a foothold. And maybe we never see the result of it. Maybe we never get to taste the glory. Maybe we never get to be showered with riches and honor and praise. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's enough that faith has a foothold in the world around us, even if it's a little baby foot, because they're the cutest. Let's pray. Gracious God, in the midst of a chaotic morning, unplanned, And yet, in some ways, a wonderful surprise. You remind us that this world is never going to have what we think is going to come. It's, it's going to be unplanned. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be surprises and unexpected left turns. And God, this Christmas season, we remember that you are always with us. You're with us in worship, and you're with us out in the parking lot during the fire drill. You're with us when we get the best news we've ever received and the worst. You're with us in our sorrows and our joys. But God, you want to draw us nearer to your peace this morning. God, whatever it is that is giving us anxiety and agitation, remind us of two simple but beautiful truths. Number one, You are at work within us, and you give us value, and you give us honor, and you give us a name. And no one can take any of those things from us, and no one can destroy what you've given us. Even if our world around us is falling apart, our soul can still magnify the Lord. And God, secondly, remind us that just because we do good doesn't mean we get good. And just because people do bad doesn't mean that they get bad. But faith was never about what we get in return. 
It's always been about allowing love and joy and peace and hope to get a foothold in the world around us so that you could be glorified and honored and praised. All this we pray in your son's holy and precious name. And we say, amen.